0: Okay, so I want to talk about something, um, like, I want to ask you a question. If you ever feel like, as a Christian in our society, okay, um, and not saying anything like super negative about our society, God calls us to love our culture, we're in this culture, God has put us here for a reason, but do you ever feel like you're swimming upstream as a Christian in our culture? Just... You don't have to say anything, just nod your heads, okay? Do you ever feel like your moral compass as a Christian is, is slightly different than those of what you see in the news or what you see um, in maybe people, what you're laughing about, <laughs> what you might see in people you work with, right? Um, does it ever feel that like being a Christian is, is maybe even looked down upon, you know, today in some areas. Now, not everywhere, right? You can travel around the country. I'm sure there's different pockets that feel differently. Let's move it inward. How are you doing? When you're going through your life as a Christian, how are you doing? Are you feeling really strong? Are you feeling really at peace all the time? Are you feeling like you've got this? Do you feel like a real sense of connection to Jesus all the time and a real sense of purpose and meaning in your life? And if so, meet us over there. We all want you to pray for us, Okay. (laughs) So, I I just want to propose that possibly there's resistance in our spiritual life. That it isn't just easy to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus said similar things to that, okay? Um, I was once uh, getting a massage. It doesn't happen very often, but it was enjoyable. And I was getting a massage, and like, you know, I don't know if you've ever gotten one, but you're not wearing a lot of clothes. Um, And so, I was like under this sheet, and like, laying on my face, and I started having this, like, annoying little kind of itch on my leg. And it was just like an itch. Have you ever had an itch that if you don't scratch it sort of turns into a little bit of pain? Have you ever had that? And it's just like, I'm like, man, that is so annoying. But, like, I'm in this massage thing. I don't want to really reach down under the sheet, you know, like, <laughs> kind of near the, like, you know, butt area. And it's like, go scratching, right? So I'm just, like, trying to wait. I'm, like, waiting out this itch. Like, eventually... I don't know the science of itches, but like they should go away eventually. Like, do you have to scratch every itch? It seems like it's not right. So I'm waiting and waiting, and it's getting worse and it's turning into pain. It's like painful. I'm like, what is happening? I can't wait till this massage is over. So finally, the lady leaves, and I like flip over, and there's this bug with pincers just eating my leg. Like, I just let this thing for 10 minutes just like, you know? Like, I, I was bleeding down, Like, as I turned over, I was like bleeding down my leg. They took a chunk out of me. It's for real. I killed that thing. I was like, ugh, I cannot believe it. But I want to propose to you that that's similar to how we live our lives, that we often have these nagging annoyances, but we just don't pay attention to them. And And I wonder if we're missing some actual resistance in our life, okay? So like, let's just look at a couple verses, all right? And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, right, there's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament, okay? And the Old Testament is the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus would have read that were written before Jesus came, the New Testament was kind of written after Jesus. We're gonna look at a few examples from Jesus, and um, I I am gonna be teaching for the next three weeks from this book. Now, some of you have read this book I know it's weird for a pastor to teach from a book. Maybe you've never been to a church that's done that before. But uh, this book, I feel like, was speaking some stuff to my heart. There are things that I wanted, I felt like, as a church, we, it would be good for us to go through. So rather than reinvent the wheel, I'm just going to teach some of his content from my perspective with some of my content. You won't know who's this is. Who. So the really good stuff is mine, and the stuff you find a little bit boring is his, okay? So let's just pick a few verses. Paul writes to Timothy, Join me in suffering... Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the battle well. These are all different places. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. And what you get if you kind of read through the scripture, there is this sense that we're not super comfortable with today as much, some of us talking about warfare. Like you know, I mean, when I was raised in, in, like for better or for worse, like I went, I went to a Christian school. I loved the Christian school. This is the, this is the for better or for worse part. But they made us sing this song. Anybody remember it? Onward, Christian soldiers, marching off to war. There's a lot of problems with that song. Okay, um, but it did get. I mean, it was like technically biblical, but it was also like a little bit like. I don't know. You got to get the feeling that like they were like brainwashing us as this ch- children like being taught like this song about going off to war. Anyway, it's like, it's kind of scary, but we, we are like, we're not in this, in our day and age as comfortable with warfare analogies. Like you hear a lot of people shying away from that, but like the biblical writers knew that we were in a battle. And here's what I want to say. And what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks is that your soul is in a battle, whether you know it or not, like what, I could drop you into a war zone and blindfold you and tell you you weren't in a war zone, and that wouldn't matter. You would still be in a war zone, right? Like, no matter how much I thought that was an itch, I was actually being eaten alive. Very slowly, but that's what was happening, right? So you and I are in a war zone. Like, our souls are under attack, whether we want to believe it or not. And so you can, like, what would be the result of you being under attack and not? Admitting it or not knowing it or not believing it. its still real, but you just won't admit it. Maybe some of the results would be anxiety, like hidden anxiety, like why am I so anxious? Some of the results could be depression. Some of the results could be like frustration. Think about that. I was having all of those things while this bug was devouring my leg, right? Like if you were under attack and you didn't know it or you weren't aware of it or you didn't want to admit it, you would have all these side effects. Think about when one of, if you have kids, think about when your kids were little and they would just say your name incessantly. That's kind of how it feels, right? Like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And you don't really hear it, right? It's like background noise. You've learned to filter it out. But then at some point it breaks through. You know, it reaches like a, annoyance level 30 and it breaks through and you're like, what? Right? That's kind of like, you know, the, we're under, we're under attack. You're in a war. Your soul is under attack. And kind of historically, like the early fathers and mothers of our faith would talk about three enemies of the soul, the world, the devil, and the flesh, okay? And now, so, like, when we talk about the world, we're not, we're not saying, like, the people of the world, like, we need to be, you know, hate the people of the world. We're not talking about political alliances. You know, that's not what this is about, okay? We're talking more about the way that the world thinks, the, the world view, the cultural moment that we're in that flows against the way of the kingdom of God. The flesh isn't like, yeah, you're under attack from your fingers. No, it's like your, your desires that come from being a broken human, right? And the devil we're going to talk about today. So, you, you can't find, like, a verse in the Bible that's like, hey, you have three enemies to your soul. But this is from reading the Bible, what early fathers and mothers of the church saw. Like, here are the three things that get mentioned a lot that kind of come against Christians. Here's one example. Paul writes to the uh, church in Ephesus, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions, this is before they found Jesus, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Right? There are the ways of Jesus. In fact, the early followers of Jesus were just called the way because it was a different way to live your life, the way of Jesus. This, we were called out of the ways of this world. So can we agree that there are ways of this world? Ways of thinking, ways of Treating everything, ways of thinking about money, ways of thinking about relationships, ways of thinking about sexuality, ways of treating your neighbor, right? There are ways of this world, and there are ways of Jesus. Now, sometimes those things line up, and sometimes they don't. And so you've been under the influence of the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So we're going to talk about that one today. The ruler of the kingdom of the air sounds really strange, sounds really weird, Right? And, but that would be the devil and all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now, if any of you have been alive and cognizant for more than a, an hour, you know that you're, you have desires that flow against the way of Jesus, don't you? Like There are times where you want you know, people to praise you. You want to be selfish. You want things to all be about you. You want to seek pleasure above integrity. Like there's all these things that are, we want that flow against the way of Jesus. And so there's these three enemies of the soul, the devil, the flesh, and the world that we, we're living in. It's like, have you, ever, have you ever like stood in the ocean and tried to stand your ground as the waves crashed and then the undertow went? And it's like, you, it's really hard, right? We're living, our souls which were made to have communion with Christ and fellowship with each other, with fellow believers, and were made to know true peace and joy and love. Let's think about that. How often are you existing in that place that I just described? Communion with Christ, perfect unity with other followers of Jesus, deep sense of peace and love and joy in your heart, in your life, and a sense of purpose and meaning and mission— Right, we all get that sometimes, but we're also being battled, battered by these three things, and so we're going to each week talk about one. And today, we're going to talk about this guy. <laughs> all right, the devil. Now, so I, I can't, I cannot promote things from the stage, but Jason Sudeikis is hilarious <laughs> as the devil. I just have to say. So you might be sitting here and listen. I don't know your background. Like some of you, if you're raised in the church, maybe you're like, oh yeah, I believe there is a devil. Some of you who are raised in the church are like, you know, that's one of those things that they use to, to control us or to scare us as kids, but I don't really think there's actually a devil. Some of you who weren't raised in the church you are like, I was really hoping this wasn't one of those churches. And like right about now, you're like, Darn, I guess I have to go find another church. Right? Like you actually believe that there's a that there's a devil like do you also believe in Thor? Right? Like you know, like do you also believe like is this part part of like these archaic religions or these thoughts that we've, you know, kind of grown out of, right? Like when people used to think that the world was flat. Okay, and some basketball players still do, but just, you know, We've learned some things, right? We've grown and we've we've evolved as a people and we've learned that there is no longer a devil, right? Like, or not, no longer, there never was one. We just, that was something, a superstition that we created as a people to kind of explain bad things. But now we know bad things are caused by people and by chance and by weather problems, weather patterns and right, it's not, there's no Satan. So that's fine if you're there. And so what I wanna ask you to do is just suspend your disbelief. Because as followers of Jesus, if you're here exploring faith in Christ and all of that, what we want to do is look at what Jesus would teach and say, well, what did Jesus think about the devil? Because you get, it gets really sticky when you start to say, well, Jesus was like in a different culture and they kind of believed in the devil. But if Jesus came today, he wouldn't have like, that's a really risky game to play with Jesus. Because then what you're really doing is you're just changing the image of Jesus into whatever image you want it to be. Jesus says a lot of hard things. And so, hey, I would love the freedom to change some of the things he says. Wouldn't that be great? But we got to take, take Jesus and, and what he says, and then we have to make a, a, an informed decision like, do I want to follow this person or not? It's not fair to change it and then say you'll follow it. That's following something else. So what did Jesus say about the devil? So he has this exchange with the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were this, you know, super religious, and mostly, they were they were good people, but they had some bad motives, all right? They knew the Bible well, and he would often have these exchanges with the Pharisees who were trying to catch Jesus because they were jealous of him, all right? And so to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. There's a whole teaching right there. That's a good, good, good verse right there. Then, if you hold to his teaching... Right? If you follow his teaching, if you follow the way of Jesus, then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You will be truly free, not when you just just see how this is setting this up, not when you do whatever you want and we 're going to talk about this next week when we talk about the world, but freedom isn 't doing whatever you want freedom true freedom is following jesus 's pattern for the most fl- flourishing life like he defines what the good life is, and when you follow Jesus, you find the good life, okay? So you hold to my teaching, you really then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Just hold on to the thought that he's saying his way is truth, because he's setting them up. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Which is kind of ironic, because the whole population were slaves in Egypt, and they would certainly have known that. But, you know, they're trying. they always want to push back on Jesus, and he says, very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So he's like, I'm not talking about slavery like you're thinking. I'm talking about spiritual slavery. I haven't come to set you free from like Rome, for instance. I've come to set you free from Satan and sin. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word, my teaching, my truth. You have no room for truth in your life. And so you're trying to kill me. And I'm telling you what I've seen in the father's presence. And you are doing what you have heard from your father. So he sort of really starts to push in on them here. He's pressing their buttons. And they're like, Abraham's our father, right? Which they had already said once. He said, look, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. And as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man that has told you the what? Okay, we're talking about truth, right? That I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. It's hilarious, is in a little while. We don't, I don't have time to go through this whole thing, but right at the end, he makes them so mad because he tells them that he and Ab- basically like, he and Abraham used to hang out, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> and then they want to kill him. Right? You are doing the works of your own father. So he again, he's like, "They say we are not illegitimate children," which may have been a dig, not so subtle, at Jesus, right? And and the whole like Mary Joseph story. Okay, so now they're getting nasty. The only father we have is God Himself. So they threw Abraham out. They're like, okay, fine, God's our father. And he said, Look, if God were your father, you would love me. <laughs> For I have come from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why? Why don't you understand this? Why is my language not clear? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. He just takes it to a whole nother level, doesn't he? Right? Your father isn't God. Your father isn't Abraham. Because what he's saying is, it's not about who your father is biologically. He's saying, who are you following? Who is influencing you? And he's trying to say, like, if you were following Abraham, you wouldn't want to kill me. If you were following God, you would love me and follow me. The person you're following is the one who wants to kill me and disbelieve me. And that's the devil. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And so here's what Jesus would teach you and I about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And what will we say about God? There is no lies. There is no deceit in him, right? There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. From him comes all lies. So what did Jesus believe or teach about the devil? Number one, and something we have to wrap our heads around, depending on your background, Jesus, I mean, like we can't come into this and be like, well, I just think Jesus is a great teacher. He's just a really good moral leader because Jesus taught stuff that you wouldn't agree with. So that makes it, he can't be a great moral teacher. You can't just say he's a great moral teacher on some things, right? So if you're wrestling with what to do with Jesus, my encouragement to you is take the whole of Jesus' teachings and sit with it. It might take years but allow it to speak to you. For all of us, we need to hear that Jesus, who we're following, he thought that the devil existed. He, he, he didn't have a problem with that. And, and I think that he knew from personal experience. It sounds like he was pretty familiar with, with the devil, right? Like, it sounds like he knew him personally. Probably hung out, probably had some arguments, right? Jesus thought the devil existed. And so this is where we get this word devil, is the Greek word that Jesus used was diabolos, which is not a delicious restaurant in Newark, okay? That's El Diablo, very different. Diabolos means to slander or to accuse. I want you to see that, and and some scholars would, would say that Jesus doesn't even want to give him the dignity of giving him a name, so he just describes him, right? Instead of like saying, um, you know, this is my wife, Manny. Like, this is my wife, the beautiful one, right? Like, I would just describe her, the patient one, the hardworking one. Should I keep going? Oh, she's hating this. The angry one, the gonna kill me after church one. Okay, right? So we get these things, the Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver. Do so you want to see kind of who he is? These are the things, the way that scripture talks about this. There is a being, there is a spiritual being that is these things. The great dragon who deceives the whole world. Isn't that actually a dragon, right? It's a metaphor, the ancient serpent who deceives the whole world. What does he do? He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a thief. Jesus calls him the prince of this world. Jesus would have would have taught and did teach that Satan had was the most powerful, influential being in this world. He's the prince of this world. The, the Greek word that he would have used for prince would have been like like ruler, like the governor, like you know the president, right? Okay, he's he's the ruler, the prince of this world. The, Do you have a hard time with that? I mean, actually, like, just think about it. Like, what if? What if, like, this explains stuff? What if you just went today and read your newsfeed with this in mind? It might explain some stuff, right? Things we know from Scripture. This guy was created by God. Therefore, he's not God's equal. It's not like in the movies where there's these two equal powers and they're fighting to the death. no. He's, un, he's an underling. He's under God. He doesn't compete. He rebelled against God for thousands of years. He's held sway as the prince of this world. He led people astray. He's led angels astray. You know, the Bible teaches he has angels that are now what we would call demons. That, animating, that He's the animating energy behind many of the great atrocities of this world. We know that Jesus said he came. These are all quotes from Jesus. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. Sorry, these last two are quotes from Paul. He disarmed the powers and authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus' victory is like like D-Day, right? When when, when the Allied forces won D-Day, the war wasn't over, but the war was, was like, finished. Like, it wasn't over. Or it still needed, like, many miles to go to get to Germany. There was, like, stuff that had to be done. There were still casualties. There were still fighting, but, like, the decisive victory had been won. In many ways, Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension back into heaven was the decisive blow to the enemy's power of sin, death, um, sin and death. But we're still kind of living in that time between the times, which we talked about last week, before Jesus returns, okay? We're in an ongoing war. We can still be harmed. So we're told over and over again to be alert, be careful. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Our great hope, though, is in the end, Jesus will finish what he started. Eventually, when he returns, he's going to He's gonna completely defeat Satan. Okay, so there's two errors that people make when they talk about the devil. One is they go too far, and one is they don't go far enough. And that's the two camps that we, you know, I don't believe in him is dangerous, Right? A lot of famous writers, including C.S. Lewis, have written, like, one of of Satan's best tactics is to make you not believe in him because then he can do whatever he wants and you don't ever think it's him. And then there's over here where we think everything is Satan. You know, like, I stubbed my toe this morning. Satan, right? You know, like, he was there. I couldn't find my sock. Satan is against me, right? Like, you know, you're driving and your kids are fighting in the car and you're like, Satan was attacking us on the way to church. Well, you know, probably not. You probably are tired, your kids are tired, or you said something mean, or you were impatient. It's probably like a lot of explanations before you get to Satan, right? And and probably Satan himself isn't touching any of us, right? It's probably like, if there is stuff like that, it's demonic activity. But we want to talk about like this. First, we need to see that Jesus thought the devil existed. We have to wrap our heads around that. And I want to ask you, like, if that's hard for you, I'm okay, like, not I'm okay. I understand that. Like, it makes sense that as, you know, 21st century You know, people who are raised with a very rational, scientific way to view the world, where everything has to have an explanation, everything has to have evidence, that you would question this. This can seem archaic. It can seem fairy tale like It can seem like the Greek gods or something like that. But again, Jesus, what if? What if Jesus understood reality better than we do? And I want to just, like, put that there for you to think about. If you struggle with believing in Satan, not, like, worshiping him but believing that he exists right if you struggle with worshiping him that's a good thing okay no problem there um there's not a lot of humor in the talk on satan i can tell It's that's, that's, that's okay trust me come back next week when we talk about the world it'll be even better all right so what if jesus knew knew more about reality than we do what if he understood more than we do what if he was saying there's a there's a battle going on for your soul there's a battle going on for your neighbor's soul there's a battle going on for your friends, and and there is this, there is an evil animated force in the world. Now, I'm not telling you, like, again, you can't go here where it's nothing, and you can't go here where it's everything. You know, I see Christians, like, you know, I mean, this is the famous one that really bothered me. It was back when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. There were Christian pastors who, like, Got on, you know, stages and microphones and stuff and said, you know, that's, you know, God's judgment, right, of like the, the, you know, the sin that's there. And then other Christians would be like, that was Satan, you know, Satan did it. And I think most of us were like, that was just a, you know, a really terrible hurricane, right? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know that God or Satan was really in that one. But what does Satan do? What does he do? Well, Jesus taught, first of all, that the devil brought death. He said he is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give life. And he also taught that the devil's main tool was lies. Right? And that's where we want to land today. And, and, and this is what I think, like, depending on how you were raised, the de- it's hard to put, like, some concrete examples around what the devil does. Is he... Is he just a spiritual being? Is he like the one who breaks your dishwasher or gives you flat tires? Is he like, is he like from horror movies, right? Like, do you need to get exorcisms? Like, what, what does it look like? And in the Bible, we see we see Satan possessing people. We see Satan making, make, making people sick. We do see Satan interacting with nature and stuff like that. But most of how Jesus talks about him is as a liar. So we're going to, we don't have all day to do like this, like deep dive into Satan and demonology, But can we just think about what if there is this being that Jesus admits is there, says is there, and Jesus taught that he's a deceiver? What if his number one tool is lies? And what would that look like in your life? How would you look at your life and see lies happening that you might be tempted to follow? So, all right, I'm just gonna get out ahead of this and say there's a lot of information in this teaching. So my teachings are sometimes different, like I have kind of my normal way that I do things. This is more of like a... a, a, intellectual, kind of thought-provoking teaching. But I think it's important, because here's why. We will encounter stuff in life. And I could just, and we could, as a church, we could just teach, like, I don't, I don't want to, okay, okay. <laughs> What I'm trying to say is we could teach like surface level type stuff, feel good stuff. Like God is your counselor in the sky who wants you to feel good all the time. We could do that and you would leave feeling good every time. I could do that. I could like, you know, have a really good tagline every week and an emotional story at the end and you would feel good. But then when stuff happens in your life, you might not have the theological backbone that you need to get through life. And that's when people leave Jesus And that's when people leave the church. So what I want to try to do is I want to try to do both. Like we do stuff that's like pointed towards the heart, but we have to do stuff that's pointed towards the head because we have to have a theological framework for how the world works because the world is teaching us and teaching us and teaching us. And if we don't have any thoughts about what the Bible says, we just take what the world says and take it for granted. But the reality is that Jesus describes a different reality than our world teaches. Now, our world would tell you that there is no demonic being, which is great for him because he can just deceive you and deceive you and deceive you. So that's why I want to, you know, this, I'm not apologizing. I'm just giving you some, like, why is Christian giving so much information today? It's because sometimes we need to learn with our heads before we can feel it with our hearts. So in the beginning of the Bible, we meet the devil within the first couple chapters. And you know what he does? He lies. He kisses. He lies, right? The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. If you're not familiar with this story, God creates the world, and then he puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, this beautiful, idyllic place that represents kind of God's perfection where he wants communion between man and God and man with the man and woman together. And he says, he said to the woman, this this Um, serpent who is satan did god really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden so immediately the enemy comes at the woman with this temptation of did god let's let's second guess god the woman said we may eat the fruit of the trees but god said you must not eat the fruit from this tree it's in the middle of the garden you must not touch it or you will die and then he just out and out lies you will certainly not die God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So in this tiny little story, we learn everything we need to know about Satan. He, he comes at us with these three lies, and he's still coming at us now. You can't believe God. You can't trust God. And you get to divine good and evil. You can't believe God. So how do we see these happening in our lives? These lies that are happening in our lives, how do we, how do we see these happening inside of us. So for instance, here's some ones that I've heard, right? Like, and that I've struggled with. Um, I can't imagine that there would be a hell because a loving God would never permit his children to go to hell. And so that must just not be true, right? It's, it's doubting God's word and doubting that God is good and I get to redefine it. You know, I can't believe that, um, that God, like, why does God care about my sex life? I've, I've had conversations with people where they've said, why does God care who you have sex with, right? It's an interesting question. Because, I, you know, I can't imagine that God wouldn't want me to be happy all the time and wouldn't want me to get what I want. And So, like, I'm going to redefine what good and evil is. I'm going to redefine it in a way that I think is better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to doubt God's word right? There's lies being sown into us all the time that go against the ways of Jesus. What what about like a more personal one? Like um, the only way that I am valued is when I perform well. And so if I don't get straight A's, I'm not worth what I need to be worth. Or if I don't do well at work, or like, here's another one, if I don't have someone loving me, like romantically, then I'm not, there must be something wrong with me, right? There must be something wrong with me. Or you never f- finish what you start. And so when you start that new thing, you're not going to finish it. You fail every time you try to step out. And you get these internal tapes, where'd they come from? And I'll tell you, like, there, we come up with all these explanations, and some of them are valid, but like, doesn't the world come up with explanations for where those things come from? But what if what Jesus said was true, and you have an enemy who would love to whisper in your ear, don't try that new thing. You know how it's going to end up. You never succeed when you try those new things. That's really risky. What will people think about you? Or like, hey, remember when you made that mistake 10 years ago? What if people found out? Or remember, how how come you can just never get it right? How come you can never overcome that that sin area? You are just not as good of a Christian as the people sitting in this room. When they say those things during worship, that's not for you. Because, I mean, I know you, you know you. That's for the other people, but you, you're lucky just to be sitting here. Don't expect God's grace in your life. Don't expect God to forgive you. You're probably... You know, If you get to heaven, be by the skin of your teeth, but don't expect to ever be used. You'll never amount to anything. Your gifts will never be used. I'm sure eventually this church will let you down. All churches will let you down. Every pastor will let you down. You should just leave church. What's the point of church? Why do you even go to church? No one likes you there. No one said hi to you today. Maybe I can get you to stay home. It's much more comfortable at home. You could watch online and then say that you did, but don't really watch online. You probably should. I mean, what's the point of reading the Bible? It's so archaic. Have you read the Bible? There's like floods and like, there's like trees with magical fruit and talking serpents. Like, this is a bunch of baloney. Like, why would you read the Bible? You should just stop reading the Bible. And on and on and on and on and on and there's on. There's an onslaught. Your soul is under attack. Your soul is under attack. And, and my only point today is, could we admit that? I'm not saying that Satan himself is following you around. And I'm not saying that he's like, you know, whatever, breaking your dishwashers or popping your tires or giving you hangnails. But what if what if when Jesus said, hey, when you follow me and do what I say, the truth will set you free, but when you are influenced by the enemy, he will lie to you because he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your inner peace. He wants to mess up your future. He wants to make you hate yourself, right? These are the things of the enemy. They're, you have an enemy, and, and for those of you who've been in the church for a long time, maybe this feels fundamental or basic to you. But I want to just ask you: like, how often do you do what the Bible says and take every thought captive to Christ, and make it take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ? How often do you think about your thoughts and think, "Hmm, is that the enemy? Like, do I have an enemy to my soul? And maybe that thought that got dropped in there, maybe that's not from me or my parents or my upbringing, but maybe that's from the enemy." So I want to just ask us to think about this. This is really nice. It's like a light, kind of like feel-good message. I really feel like we can go home feeling really good about ourselves today. You guys, you feeling good? That's good. I really, I really feel like I've done my job today. Um, so guess what? Church is over. It's 11.15. And we didn't even get to like, what do you do about it? There's like, there's, like a second part to this teaching. So you have to come back next week. Because Jesus has a whole lot to say about what to do about it. But we have to lay a foundation. We have to theologically know that like this isn't one verse that some people take out of context. Actually, all through the Scripture, from the beginning, literally Genesis 3, to the very last part of Revelation, and all through it, there is an enemy of our souls. And next week, we're going to look at how Jesus handled him. It's a really beautiful story. Jesus is in the wilderness. And at where Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, Jesus gets tempted in the wilderness. Where they were tempted with food, Jesus was fasting. And it's just, it's this like purposefully done by Jesus to rewrite the creation story and rewrite, he's hes called the new Adam, to rewrite how we can handle the enemy. And he teaches us, and I'm gonna give you four tools that Jesus himself uses in that story to fight the lies of the enemy, And it's something we can all do. So I want you to come back next week, okay? All right, and rather than keeping you longer, we're not gonna sing a song. We're just gonna pray together, okay? So can we stand together and pray? Jesus, I wanna just go home remembering the verse that when we obey your commands, that the truth will set us free. I pray in Jesus' name that as we go through this week, I ask that you would give us eyes to see things that are not true, that we're believing or that we're believing about ourselves or about God or about his word. The enemy loves to lie to us about all three of those things, God's word, God's character, and ourselves. Help us to see the ways where we are believing lies. And I pray in Jesus' name that your truth would, would begin to shine in our hearts in those places that the truth would set us free from those lies, God. I just pray as a result of this teaching that no one would go either direction. No one would go like, oh my gosh, the enemy's everywhere or whatever. Like, I pray against fear or like over, over-believing. I just pray, God, you would give us really sound thoughts around what the enemy does in this world and what he would like to do in our hearts and our minds. All right, in Jesus' name, amen. Listen.